If you got your Bibles, I invite you to go to Acts chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 1 through 7. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one in the pew or in the seat around you. Grab one of those. If you don't have a Bible, uh, keep that. That's our gift to you. Um, And as you're going to Acts chapter 6, let me just say this. Many people wrongly assume that the things that we read about in the Bible are not true of us today in 2017. Some people believe that the Bible doesn't really apply to us because time and, and culture... They've changed so much. This is categorically not true. Admittedly, there are some miraculous things that happened in the scriptures that we don't see uh, today. We don't see it happening in the American church. Namely, people being healed on the spot. As, As Pastor Tim talked about last week, God is still in the miracle working business, but I don't know of any man, man or woman who can walk around and command the lame to get up and walk or to command the blind to see. And so in in that way, there's some difference. But most of what we read about in the early church is true and will be true of the church until Jesus Christ returns. Last week, we heard about the persecution happening because of the church's witness and testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 5, verse 40. After they had proclaimed this true message of salvation through Christ alone, the resurrected Savior, they were called together by the leaders verse 40, and they beat them, the apostles, and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah. So what is true of the early church is true for us today. Persecution still happens. If you claim the name of Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. If you claim that the name of Jesus is above every name, you will be met with ridicule, and you will be mocked, and you will be scorned for the name of Jesus. What was true for the early church is true for us today. So there's persecution from the outside. Now in chapter 6, we're going to see that there's conflict from the inside. Dr. Luke is continuing his pattern of outside challenges and then inside challenges. Remember last week we heard that um, this is a healthy thing, that the church would be concerned with outsiders, but at the same time be concerned about those within the church. That we would be reaching out to a lost and dying world, while at the same time taking care of the people within the church and, and the needs of the people within the church. And what's true about a healthy church is that we care about both insiders and outsiders. So persecution was true in the book of Acts, and now we're going to come on this challenge from the inside, a threat from the inside, church conflict. What is true about the church in the, uh, in the first century is true of us today, that the church will experience conflict. God has set up the church to be a place where, where his power and his presence are changing people into the likeness and image of Christ. This should be an awesome place. And when I say place, I don't mean a building. But this should be a a movement, a family, a gathering, which is healthy. It should be safe. It should be strong. We shouldn't be wrapped up in strife. But many times, we find ourselves involved in conflict within the church. How many people here would testify that they've been hurt by the church? 
Okay, let's, uh, let's see a show of hands. How many people here would say they've been hurt by the church? They've been hurt by somebody in the church. Leadership has failed them. They've been abused by someone in the church, but the church has hurt them. Just raise your hand. Let's just see. Okay, take a look around. There's lots of hands that go up. Thank you. So what God has created to be the place where his spirit resides, where he does his work in the world, doesn't mean that we are free from conflict. And we're going to see that here even in the early church. Jerusalem Bible Church had a great beginning. It had a great few months. We've been part of that here. We've been going verse by verse through what's been happening in the church. And God has done, done some amazing things, hasn't he? He started the church. The Holy Spirit came. The church exploded with growth. People repented and turned away from their sin. They're having everything in common. They're studying the scriptures. They're taking care of each other's needs. They're even experiencing persecution. But when they do, they stay strong. They even get stronger. And more people join this movement of the church. This is a wonderful thing. Any church can be wonderful and free of conflict for the first few months. So if you're here, and maybe you've been here for a couple months... Give us some time. You'll experience conflict. We'll fail you. That's the reality because the church is made up of sinners. And so now we're ready for Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 6, verse 1, reading in Jesus' name. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Let's start here. The church will experience conflict. The church will experience conflict. It's interesting to note um, what has happened to the church since uh, chapter 1. Chapter 1, they're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit. There's about 120 of them. And so for the 12 apostles, that would be about... um, uh, Help me, I didn't have a chance to do the math. If there's 120 and there's 12 disciples, how many is each apostle taken care of? Ten, good, thank you. And so they're, um, they're able to do that pretty easily. But now the church is somewhere between 12,000 to 20,000 people. That would be about, at the minimum, 1,000 people for each apostle to care for. That's incredible. And because of this, really a complaint came up. And this complaint was complicated. The Jews had a support system uh, for widows and orphans and you remember in the old testament throughout the old testament god commanded that the widows be taken care of that orphans be looked after and the jewish people the nation of israel took this command seriously and so within the synagogues there were offerings that were taken and um, that support those funds went to help widows in need it went to help orphans in need And now when the church came up, and now they're still in the synagogue, but they're preaching and teaching something different, do you think that that support is going to continue for the Jews that became Christians? The answer is no, it's not. And so the church then had to pick up the slack and take care of its own widows and orphans. So the Christians then continued to distribute this on their own. And you can imagine, as the church became bigger and bigger, this got more and more complicated. I wrote this down, it's in your notes. The apostles could have been intentionally discriminating against the Hellenists, or they could have simply been ignorant of the needs. Now here's what I mean. The early church was at this point made up of 
of mostly Jewish people, but two different kinds of Jewish people. Jewish people that were from Jerusalem, who uh, spoke Aramaic, who were uh, Hebrews by birth and stayed in the nation of Israel. But then the church minority was Jewish people who were Hellenists. They were Hellenistic, meaning they were of the Greek world. And they spoke Greek. And they wrote Koine Greek. And these Jews, you remember in Acts chapter 1, came during Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost, when they were gathered together in Jerusalem to celebrate. The Holy Spirit came, the church started, God's doing a miraculous thing, and these people stayed. They didn't go back to their homes. They didn't go back to their lands, their Greek-speaking lands. They stayed with the Jews in Jerusalem, the early church. And now this complaint arose. We're going to learn more about that complaint in a minute and what that actually means, that word. The complaint arose that, hey, we're the minority group here and you aren't taking care of our widows. We see the, the widows of the, uh, the Hebrew Jews or the Hebrew-speaking Jews, the, the people that stayed in Jerusalem that aren't speaking and aren't from different lands. Their widows are being take of, but, taken care of, but our widows are not. So the apostles could have intentionally been doing this. I don't think that was the case. We don't see that in the text. It seems as if they were ignorant of the needs. We have no mention of discrimination here. And we can assume that this was an administrative problem. It was an unforeseen problem caused by the the, the explosive growth of the church. It wasn't a purposeful slight by the apostles toward the non um, uh, uh, Hebrew-speaking Jews. And then the conflict that arose had serious consequences. So how the apostles are going to deal, this is, deal with this is a big deal. This conflict threatened to split the church. Can you imagine... The church has experienced all this incredible growth and incredible life and, and, and God is, on, uh, uh, is moving like crazy and the people are on fire and persecution can't stop them and they're preaching the name of Jesus and people are repenting and they're believing in the resurrected Savior Jesus. And now there's internal conflict that comes up. Man, it can destroy the whole thing, couldn't it? The church split. And so it was serious. Now you, you're saying, well, how could the church split? Well, the church... Churches split all the time over much lesser things. Tom Rayner, he's a writer, a researcher. Um, he's the current president and CEO of Lifeway Christian Resources. It's a division of the Southern Baptist Convention. He uh, lists 25 true stories about church conflict and what churches have divided over. Okay, And I just picked several of them here. I'll read them to you. There was a church that fought over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use the land for a cemetery. A deacon accused another deacon of sending an anonymous letter and deciding to settle the matter, he asked the man to meet him in the parking lot. A church dispute arose of whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the women's restroom. I don't know what that means. Um, uh, A petition... (laughs) There was a petition in a church that arose that caused quite conflict. And it, it was a petition that people signed to have all church staff clean shaven. You don't want to see this face clean shaven. Okay. <laughs> Business meetings gone amok. Arguments about whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not. It took two business meetings to resolve that issue. 
Two different churches, true story, reported fights over the type of coffee. In one of the churches, they moved from Folgers to a stronger Starbucks uh, blend brand. And in the other church, they simply moved to a stronger blend that was just a no-name thing. Members left the church in that last example because they didn't go to Starbucks. And then Tom Rainer writes, maybe they should start a new church, the Right Blend Fellowship. Some church members, we have Papa Nicholas, by the way, out in our, uh, and we're not changing, okay? <clears throat> Some church members left the church because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. It re- resulted in a major fight and split. Wow, okay? So we, we can split over all kinds of stuff, and we can see this complaint We read very quickly over these seven verses in Acts chapter 6, but there's a lot there. There's an accusation of discrimination on parts of the apostles. So here's the application. If you're part of a church, you will have conflict. If you're part of a church, you will have conflict. Let me give you three different types of conflict. Three major divisions. The first one is this, doctrinal distinctives. What a church believes about the Bible, what a church believes about God and how he saves people, what a church believes about the return of Christ, what a church believes about heaven and hell, what the church believes about spiritual gifts, what the church believes about roles of men and women. These are doctrinal distinctives over which people can argue and can have conflict. Now some of these beliefs are foundational to what we believe. And we have some of these beliefs here at Village Bible Church. These are foundational truths. These are the ones that we would say we hold with a closed hand. These are ones that we're not uh, changing. And so if you disagree, if you come into the church and you disagree with some of the foundational beliefs of the church, it's not going to cause much conflict because we're just going to say, hey, this probably isn't the church for you because you don't believe in the foundational things that we hold about the Bible and about God and how he saves people. But there are other ones that we hold with an open hand. And we are open to debate those, and we can have those as open questions, and and we can talk about those, but sometimes some people take an open-handed issue, and they make it a closed-handed issue, and conflict can erupt. Second type of conflict in, in church is interpersonal issues. This is where we find much of the conflict today. Someone is wronged either by accident or on purpose, and the battles begin. People began to take sides. This is when you hear things that no one claiming the name of Christ should ever be saying. Things like this. How dare she say that about me? Who does that pastor think he is? They'll be sorry they ever cross me. Interpersonal. Then there's the issue of personal preferences. We've already seen some examples of those in the church conflicts. This is the color of the carpet. This is the length of the service. This is the kind of music and its volume or lack thereof. Maybe you like shorter sermons. Let's just say you came on a good Sunday. The word... If you're a guest here this morning, ask somebody around you. All right. Now, what's really interesting here, we see the word for complaint. 
In the ESV, it's, it's translated complaint. The Greek word is gangamos, gangamos, gangusmos, sorry, gangusmos. That's the word for complaint that is used here. It's a word that sounds like what it is. That's called uh, onomatopoeia. You remember that? Onomatopoeia word is like a swoosh or meow. Uh, it's a word, bang. It's a word that sounds that like the thing that it is. Uh, in gangusmas. Gangusmas is a complaining. Um, one translation in trying to capture this idea of what it means in onomatopoeia, they translate the word murmuring. Murmuring. Murmur, 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 murmur. Try it. Come on. Let's hear you. Let's hear you murmur. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Yeah, yeah. The, the bears are playing today. Murmur, 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 murmur. Tonight we're at Thanksgiving dinner. We practice murmuring. Ready? Tonight's our Thanksgiving dinner. We're not having turkey. We're having spam. Murmur, murmur, murmur. That's not true. <laughs> But this is a very serious thing when we start to look at what the word is. And we start to look at other places that it's used in the New Testament. It's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. And we're going to look at that in a moment. But it's talking about the nation of Israel. And how they murmured, how they complained, how they grumbled against Moses and Aaron, the leaders of Israel. And really how they grumbled against God. Turn in your Bibles to the second book of the Bible, Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 15, excuse me. The nation of Israel had just been freed from slavery in Egypt. They had walked out of Egypt, freed people. God had parted the Red Sea and they had walked through on dry ground. And they set out from the Red Sea. And they went three days. This is uh, chapter 15, Exodus 15, verse 22. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people, here it is, grumbled against Moses saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet. So they're murmuring, murmuring right out of the gate. They're, they've been freed from slavery, remember. And everything's not as good as they feel it should be and they begin to murmur and to grumble and and to complain then look at chapter 16 verse 8 they were they were grumbling about uh, the food that they had to eat and moses said when the lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full because the lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him what are we your grumbling is not against us but against the lord Their grumbling, their complaining is really not about Moses. It's about God. And then again, it's 17, verse 3. They're thirsty again and need water, but the people thirsted there for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? They're murmuring. They're complaining. While it's not a sin to have a concern... It is a sin to grumble against God and his leaders, to complain. Wait, wait a second, you say. It's a sin to complain? Yes, the nation of Israel perished in the wilderness, the generation, because of their grumbling, because of their murmuring. 
you don't believe me, look at Numbers chapter 13. Numbers 13. The spies come back. They give a report. They get right to the edge of the promised land, the land that God had had given them. And the the nation of Israel send 12 spies into the land. And they come back and give a report to the people in chapter 13. And essentially the report from 10 of the 12 spies was, these people are too strong, they're too big, they're warriors, we're stupid for being here, we can't can't even ever hope to gain the promised land, we can't go in there. Two of them said, we can do it, God is on our side, God has promised us this, God has brought us here, let's trust in God and let's do it. Chapter 14, verse 22. None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. And none of those who despise me shall see it. So their judgment for their sin of grumbling and complaining was that a whole generation was unable to go into the promised land. Grumbling, complaining is a big deal. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Flip back there and then we'll land back in Acts. 1 Corinthians 10. We read about the nation of Israel that they're examples for us. Verse 5. 1 Corinthians 10.5 Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it was written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. And we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. You notice in this list, the nation of Israel is given to us to, as to an, be an example to us. And in this list, their sins, the sins of the people of Israel are listed. Idolatry, thou shalt have no other gods before me. They were putting false gods ahead of God. That's a big deal, right? Idolatry. Sexual immorality, a pretty big deal. Putting God to the test, big deal. The fourth one is grumbling. Complaining is a very serious deal. So this issue, this conflict that came from within the church, threatened the church. And complaining remains a threat for us today. So let's look to a few things that we can think about when we get frustrated. Because we're all going to be frustrated. When we feel frustrated about an issue within the church, here's some things we can do. Okay? Number one, check our hearts. Ask this question. If you feel the frustration welling up inside of you over something in the church or about someone... Ask this question, am I a complainer? Here's the test. Ask your spouse if you have one. Ask them to be honest. And then ask this question, why am I frustrated? Is it because I'm concerned for the church or is it because my opinions and preferences aren't being heeded? Secondly, we choose to believe the best. The Hellenists here 
seem to be believing the worst about the apostles. Notice they're grumbling, and the, and the apostles hear about it, and the apostles are the, one, the ones who call the people together for a meeting. Look at verse 2. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples. So the people who are complaining, this complaint arose, this gangasmas arose, because people were talking. Did you hear what so-and-so said? Do you know that the, the, the widows of the Hellenists aren't being met? Their needs aren't being met? Can you believe the apostles? Don't they care about our people? There's a grumbling going on. The apostles catch wind of it, and they call the meeting. All because the people who brought the complaint assumed the worst instead of choosing to believe the best. And then we can comply with the chain of command. Instead of complaining, go to the leaders or to those with which there is a frustration and follow the chain of command. That would have been the way to do it. That these people in the church should have said, hey, let's go to the apostles, let's find out what's going on because there does seem to be an issue that our widows aren't being taken care of. Let's, let's believe the best about them. Maybe it's an organizational problem. How can I help even? Let's go to them and do that. They didn't. So when we are frustrated, are you frustrated? We are not to, number one, criticize others. That is to believe the worst about somebody. And we're not to collude with others. Instead of going directly to the person with whom there is a conflict, these complainers find other people who will sympathize with them in their complaint and maybe even join with them. So I'll go to probably other Hellenists. If I'm a Hellenistic Jew, I'll go to another one in, in the church. I won't go to the apostles and I won't go to the Hebraic Jews. I'll stay in my camp and I'll talk about it and I'll, I'll make sure to get people on my side of the issue. And for example, and I haven't done this, but I could do this very easily. If I'm not uh, that happy with how much my son is playing on the basketball team, I can complain about it. But I'm not going to probably complain to the starting, the, the, the parents of the starters. I'm going to go to the people who have their son at the end of the bench because I know that they'll identify with my problem. Hey, don't you know the coach? He's not, he's not a very good coach. Actually, he really stinks because my son's not playing. And I'll collude with other people and the conflict begins. We are not to also carry unrealistic expectations. The reality was that the apostles couldn't keep up with the growth. They also couldn't see the needs of every person. And that is true today. Your elders can't supernaturally know what's going on in your heart. They can't know when you are taken to the hospital. We have to let them know. We have to speak about where we're at and not have unrealistic expectations. I put this down. And I've been here before. It is no fun to be in a church where there's out of control complaining and murmuring. It isn't. You can't control those around you. But you can choose not to sin. And you can choose to be part of the solution to the problem. And now we're moving faster. Point number two, church leaders have to lead. The story continues. The twelve, verse two, the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to ministry of the word. 
And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenaeus, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Church leaders have to lead. There was a problem in the church. Luke tells us here. So even though uh, Gangusmas is a bad thing, they're murmuring, they're complaining. It says in verse 1, Complaint arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected. Didn't, he doesn't say this. Dr. Luke doesn't say this, that a, a complaint arose which accused the apostles of not taking. He said there was a problem. So there was an issue going on. Later in the church, we see that the church has addressed these needs of the widows. And you can even see it spelled out in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 3 through 16. There's some parameters about how to care for the widows. So a decision had to be made. The apostles made this decision that they would focus in on prayer and the preaching and teaching of the word. They would not sacrifice the preaching of the word in order to serve tables. Serving tables can literally mean to serve people meals, to, to serve the widows that way by bringing them uh, uh, food. Serving tables could also mean being involved in the financial fund, the distribution of the funds, because that uh, financial distribution happened over tables. Matthew, the tax collector, tax collectors worked at the tables. So it has this idea that um, whether it's the financial aspect of this care or whether it's the actual care of the people, the apostles, the leaders of the church said we're not going to sacrifice the preaching and teaching of the word to do that instead what was their solution pick seven people from among yourself to do the work and then their names indicate that these were hellenists so the people from which the complaint came the apostles said choose some of your people to meet the needs and then that decision pleased the whole church they picked the seven, they blessed them to do the work, and conflict was conquered. Now Jesus was the greatest leader ever. And Jesus came as a, a prophet and a priest and a king. And this is all over the scriptures, notably, notably in the book of Hebrews. And as a prophet, Jesus would preach and teach sound doctrine. He would defend the truth. At the same time, he would call out false teaching. He would call out the false teachers of the, of the Pharisees. Jesus, as a prophet, would call people to repentance and to the truth. Jesus, as a priest, would love people and serve people and care for them. Jesus is a priest who cares for his people. And then as a king, Jesus has authority. He organizes his people. He administrates the Father's plans. And he exercises oversight over the church, which is his kingdom. And maybe you've heard this, that leaders are sometimes gifted more strongly in one area than the other, whether as a prophet, whether as a priest, or as a king. And here we see that leaders have to lead in all of these capacities. Some lead as prophets. Prophets shepherd people spiritually and practically. They put forth a vision, and that's what the apostles did. They put forth a plan to meet the needs of the people. The apostles did not say that serving tables was not an important work, they merely said that it wasn't their calling in the church. Theirs was to teach and to pray and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people lead as priests. Priests serve the needs of the people. 
These seven men were selected to meet the needs of the Hellenistic widows. Priests care for people. And part of the, the role of elder at our church is, is to care for the people of, of Village Bible Church. We recently just took on eight new elders. And then we've just recently divided the whole church up into flock groups, we call it. And, and so whether, uh, if you're new here, you're not going to be part of that. But after you're here for uh, a, a time, you get moved to a regular attender list. So all attenders and members are divided up into flock groups, which one elder oversees. So that this elder then is the pastor to his own group. In a church of our size, one pastor can't uh, take care of the needs of everybody in our church. And so we have 18 elders who share that by having their own flock groups. And, and if you're a regular attender, uh, a member, you should be hearing from your elder as they want to be the point person for you, as they care for you and shepherd you. Some leaders lead as kings. Kings take the vision and make the hard organizational decisions to get there. No doubt this decision was met with some criticism. I don't believe that all of the complainers were happy about the decision, but we don't hear about any lingering accusations of discrimination because the whole of the church was pleased with the disciples, the apostles' decision. Some lead as kings. Application. Listen to your leaders. And make it a joy for them to lead. That's Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Your leaders aren't perfect, but they have been put in leadership according to the Lord's will. So when the issue is not blatant sin, give your leaders the benefit of the doubt and listen to them. Sometimes you might be part of the problem, and you might have the opportunity to be part of the solution. This is what happened here in Acts 6. The solution was found in the camp of the complainers. Some time ago, um, <clears throat> as small groups were starting, I heard of a, uh, a lady in our congregation um, who, who was neglected in, in being cared for. <clears throat> she had gone to the hospital and uh, had surgery done, was not able to be in part of the church for a while, and it, it, uh, it, that information fell by the wayside. It, it was not known to the leadership. <clears throat> and so as soon as I found out, I called her right away and uh, talked to her and, and apologized, and we're trying to make sure we keep up with everybody. And, and, uh, and um, she said uh, she was very gracious in it, and uh, she joined a small group and... and uh, and she said, you know, I want to be part of making sure that people who aren't around at church um, uh, are followed up with. Can I be a part of that? I said, absolutely. So now, after somebody's been gone for four consecutive weeks, and maybe you've been one of these ones, she just started recently, she sends out a card from our church uh, to ask how the person is doing and where they're at and how can we be praying for you. I haven't seen you around. By the grace of God... This woman chose to be part of the solution rather than complain and grumble against the leaders. The leaders have a great responsibility and will have to answer to God for their leadership. What's at stake here? What's at stake is the souls of people. The gospel is being preached and it's being taught. Our leaders are trying to follow the Holy Spirit's 
direction as how to meet uh, the needs of people within the church but also to keep reaching out to lost ones who need jesus and need forgiveness and then finally the spirit-led church will grow the spirit-led church will grow verse 7 and the word of god continued to increase and the numbers of the disciples multiplied greatly in jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith this is amazing the early church continued to spread the word. We see three different words here that are used to talk about what's happening. Uh, the word of God continued to increase. The numbers of disciples multiplied, and a great many of the priests became obedient. The, the church continued to spread the word. They weathered this storm that came from within. They dealt with the complainers. They found a solution. And now the word continues to go forth in power. The apostles are continuing to do what they were called to do. They're praying. They're preaching. They're teaching. They're speaking the mighty name of Jesus. And the word is spreading. Some of you need to hear the word continue today. That you need to continue. That you need to press on. That you need to press forward. That you need to continue spreading the word of of being a testimony in what you say and how you live to those around you. And as you do that, then secondly, this is what happens. The church experienced conversions. The spreading of the word will, will produce converted people. As the word goes out, conversions happening happen. And what is a conversion? A conversion is when a sinner comes to realize that they are a sinner and that their sin killed Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross for their sin. And if they would believe on Him, they could have everlasting life and be forgiven and be made new and be made whole and be made right with God. And they're converted. And they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and their life changed and the Holy Spirit comes and lives within them. And it's not of anything that they do. They, they might have thought that they had to work hard for things, that they had to do certain things, that they had to be a certain kind of person to be a Christian. And then they realize that while we were still sinners, Christ died for them. And they believe and they repent and they are changed by God's grace. And the word, as it spreads, converts sinners. And then it changes culture. We see here that some priests believed. Now this is a big deal. These are the priests that are in the synagogue. These are leaders. These are uh, people who are, are having an impact on, on the, the Jewish culture and society around Jerusalem. And the priests are coming to call Jesus the Messiah. This is a big deal. Some Christians, they want to escape culture. If I can get away from the culture, if I can protect my kids from the culture, if I can hide in a hole somewhere until Jesus comes back, and that's not the answer. Other people want to fight culture all the time, and I'm going to stand up and speak against culture, and they got to do this, and they got to do this, and they got to get right. But no, when we're preaching the gospel, when we're living as the church that God calls us to be, we actually change culture because the Holy Spirit does a work inside us, and it spreads to other people, and Lives are changed and new culture is created. It's an amazing thing to be part of a church, that we get to be part of a movement that can change history. We don't just hide away from our culture. We don't just fight against it. We change it for the glory of Jesus Christ and for the fame of his name. And that's what we long to do here at Village. Amen? Amen. So we will experience conflict. Don't complain. Trust the leaders to lead, and let's pray that God will grow his church.